Radio City. How are you, Betty? An overly cheerful voice talks to me. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, I reply, uncomfortable and insecure, I admit it, as I turn to the voice. Of course, we love to present stories of anonymous people and more as young as you. In a moment, you'll get into the studio. Wait here, do you need anything? She's a woman in her 20s who seems very happy and speaks very fast. Sorry, I don't know what story you're referring to. You mean my novel, right? She no longer listens to me. Someone called her. She turns to I don't know where. Is she dissembling, changing the subject? I'm not that young. I'm 17, a little older than her. Sorry, Betty, I have to go, but we'll talk in a minute, she leaves, but turns around one last time without stopping. How exciting! Why don't I believe it? I sit in the waiting room, where some people look at their cells. I see a man picking up a newspaper, and a girl reading a book catches my attention. She seems sad, or at least emotional. Fortunately, some people don't look at their phones all the time. The girl is indeed really young, 12 years old. She seems familiar. She makes me feel good. Maybe it's her sadness that makes me feel at home. I decide not to pull my book out, look at myself, or look at anyone else. I choose to do nothing. Just wait. There's a TV with the news on. I'm not interested in anything. Again, I don't believe anything. Hi, Ricardo? A man asks as he searches with his eyes among us waiting. The man with the newspaper puts it down and stands up while smiling without saying anything. Everything seems mysterious. The silence, the looks, what the voice said about stories of anonymous people, which I still don't understand. I've come to talk about my novel. I intend to make it clear. I look again at the girl, who's still sad, or so it seems to me. I guess she's not alone. An adult must have come with her. But it seems no one's in this room with her. They must be interviewing her escort, who I figure is an anonymous person. I smile sarcastically for half a second, and I cringe, thinking that someone could have seen me smiling alone, so I turn to the window. In the glass, I see the girl repositioning herself in her chair, thus exposing her book's cover. I read the title, reflected like a mirage. Nobody notices you. My thoughts automatically take me back to my childhood. No one pays attention to you, Elizabeth. My dad told me when he found me crying in the kitchen one afternoon when I thought no one was home. Because you're like me. You're more inward than outward. That's why you go unnoticed. 
still feeling as bad as when I was, I stopped crying. I no longer remembered why I was doing it. Afterward, my dad walked out of the kitchen and that was the day we never saw him again. That's why I remember that moment so vividly, not because of the message he conveyed to me, but of what came after and how my life and my families changed from there. I keep looking out the window, but I don't really see anything. I notice that I no longer see the book. I turn back to the girl, but she isn't there. They must have picked her up already. Hi, everyone. Betty, can you come in? Announces the same overly friendly and happy voice from this kind of waiting room's door frame. I don't smile like the man before. I just get up and neutrally walk towards her because something makes me not trust this place. Already outside the room, I almost unconsciously look for the girl, but I don't see her anywhere. I think we're going towards the studio where they're going to interview me. I hope to talk about my novel, but I suspect they've made me come for some other reason I ignore, and that scares me. Excuse me. What's your name? I ask the voice as we walk. Don't you know my name? She replies, smiling condescendingly. I'm the anonymous people section's host, Carla Bundy. She tells me as if I had to answer something like, What? I can't believe it. I am a lifelong fan of yours. I'm excited. Will you sign me an autograph? Or something similar. Oh, uh, do you know where the girl in the room went? I answer instead. We arrive at the studio, but stay at the door, and she points to a chair in the tech control room where two women work really focused. Do I get to sit and wait again before going through? Sit down a sec and we'll go through, she replies without replying to my question as I sit down and she picks up herself. What girl? It seems that she heard me, and that's somehow surprising. The girl in the waiting room Hey, Mike, excuse me, do you have the answers for tomorrow? She speaks to someone on the phone. I haven't seen a girl, I'm sorry. She replies to me, leaving again and resuming the other conversation. No, I wasn't talking to you. And she disappears from my side. Hello, Betty. I turn to a boy with a bunch of papers in his hand, who seems really busy. He introduces himself as Martin and hands me, as he explains while doing so, some possible answers which are just ideas that might help me answer if I'm unsure what to say. They love helping the interviewees, especially if they are that young again so that we don't feel uncomfortable in front of a microphone and also that way the program is more entertaining. With these ideas for answers, there are no doubts. We avoid stammering, eliminate boredom and a long etc. of explanations that I stop listening to at some point while I start translating in my head what this program does with the anonymous people. Basically, avoid the truth and eliminate genuineness. Thank you.
I won't need them, thanks. I interrupt him while he keeps explaining to me the pretty much 10th excuse on why I shouldn't be me, to which Martin is shocked and also drops some papers. At that moment, the voice, I can't remember her name, arrives silently. I would say he's sneaking up. You don't need what? Hello, name, name, uh, the answers, I say, as Martin gets up and pulls himself together with the papers he's just gathered up, again in his hand, and says, very agitated, these are ideas for the answers to, no, Betty, the voice, what's her name, only now, with a pretty different voice from the one she's been using, interrupts Martin, and I notice him taking the chance to go away covertly. You must bear this list of ideas very much in mind. Use it to avoid, yes, I know, this time I'm the one interrupting, bubbling, doubting, and things like that. This way, I drop the subject because I need to wrap things up now. settled, again the overly and suspiciously happy and friendly voice comes out. Then let's get into the studio. Finally, we get in. Martin sits on a chair in front of a microphone and wears a large set of headphones reading his papers. Again, he seems quiet or very shy. Another woman who seems to me like the voice, what was her name, I can't remember, is also sitting in front of a microphone and with some headphones, although she doesn't read like Martin, but she looks at me really focused and smiles as if she was going to eat me alive. I don't know where that came from. I sit where I'm told, also in front of a microphone, and start looking for the name of the voice written somewhere. If she's the host, her name should appear here somewhere, and indeed, when I see it, I'll remember. What are you looking for? Speaks to me, who I'm now calling Voice 2, because she's almost the same. I feel as if they both tell me the same lie. When I'm about to answer, I see the girl through the studio door's glass. She's staring at us. I look back and smile at her. She smiles back at me. She seems more cheerful. Voice two turns at the door and then to me, confused. Are you okay? The voice notices it and approaches. We're about to start. What's going on? But no one has time to answer due to the time signal sound. Great. I want to start and especially finish at once. The voice starts addressing the audience and I suddenly remember her name, Carla, I smile. I instantly realize, did I say it out loud? And on the microphone, it can be. I look at everyone, everyone looks at me. Martin smiles, but immediately gets serious, concealing, as always, the shame again. Although this time I feel stronger and safer. I look toward the girl at the door, who keeps smiling at me. Wow, looks like we have a fan in the studio. <laughs> we'll talk to her right away, since 
she's our anonymous guest today. She says on the microphone and gets on. I look back at the door, but I don't see the girl anymore. She was there a second ago. I turn and find her in the tech control booth. Out of nowhere, I realize how she could get there in just a second. And I also understand her familiarity. Betty, can you hear me? The voice named Carla is inviting at me and pulls me out of my world. The one my dad said, preventing me from being noticed. I look at her gravely. Yes, I'll answer. The girl is next to me now. I turn to her and take her hand. We are both calmer. Voice two looks at me disapprovingly, while Martin and the two women at the tech control smile at me like my girl. I hear you, Carla, and can you hear me? Sure, we're here precisely, so you can tell us about your dad, Betty. Tell us. My dad? You want me to tell you about my dad? Carla is getting uncomfortable, but I don't care. The girl sits on my lap and vanishes, but she doesn't, since she's with me more than ever. Yes, uh, he abandoned you, right? Tell us, how was it? My dad, my dad, the words don't come out and I look at the technical control women who smile and encourage me with their attitude. My dad called me Elizabeth. Well, that's irrelevant, says voice two with a smile, although I go on as if no one had spoken. Then I tell them in detail I am not anonymous and that my father told me one day no one noticed me, that neither him. And it was because you're like me, you're more inward than outward and that's why you go unnoticed. So I decided to write what was inside me and that's why I came to talk about my novel which I'm about to finish and tells how life is one and that it doesn't matter what moment you are each time. I don't know if my dad abandoned us. I don't know anything, but neither do you. If he wants to come back, he'll come back. And if not, no. The only thing we can do is listen to each other and most of all, tell each other the truth. Then I'm here in front of a microphone thanks to everything I've experienced. I hope you'll read my novel, which doesn't get half a title, but will probably be I don't go unnoticed because it's like that, at least for me, that I'm the most important person in my life. Do you like it? I conclude very convinced and confident as I get up from my chair without waiting for an answer, even though I hear Martin's yes and his shy applause. Then I tell them in detail I am not anonymous and that my father told me one day no one noticed me, that neither him. And it was because you're like me, you're more inward than outward. 
And that's why you go unnoticed. So I decided to write what was inside me. And that's why I came to talk about my novel, which I'm about to finish and tells how life is one. And that it doesn't matter what moment you are each time. I don't know if my dad abandoned us. I don't know anything, but neither do you. If he wants to come back, he'll come back. And if not, no. The only thing we can do is listen to each other and most of all, tell each other the truth. Then I'm here in front of a microphone thanks to everything I've experienced. I hope you'll read my novel, which doesn't get half a title, but will probably be I Don't Go Unnoticed. Because it's like that, at least for me, that I'm the most important person in my life. Do you like it? I conclude very convinced and confident as I get up from my chair without waiting for an answer, even though I hear Martin's yes and his shy applause. Carla also gets up anxiously and with her other voice tells me not to leave, that we haven't finished, that they are looking for information on my dad's whereabouts and that with their help we can probably meet again, that they'll get what we've been years wishing. I don't wish anything, she's telling me. Voice 2 laughs out loud as she yells, How's she going to write a novel at 15 years old? Although, luckily, I hear her from afar, as I'm already at Radio City's editor, and I'm 17. 